Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's March 2nd and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Hals-Barbie and as always, I'm here with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? <laughs> I'm hanging in there, Matt. I'm out here in the Bay Area and believe it or not, it's freaking raining. <laughs> welcome to my regular life. Uh, <laughs> switch i actually do you know i had to briefly pause before we started recording because the sun was shining so hard in through my window uh, this is not even a word of a lie so how the tables have turned austin yes how the tables have turned sunny london here we go oh, well, <laughs> well we got a lot of we got a lot to cover today we're going to be talking about the very significant announcement from coinbase introducing their standalone blockchain base um a very important and significant vote uh in the restructuring plans of voyager yuga labs with uh, this completely took me by surprise a new 300 piece art collection being dropped on bitcoin that's right Mm. uh so we'll talk about that and then the IMF and their grand plans of banning crypto. Uh, and and of course, you know, it wouldn't be an episode of Off-Chain without some FTX news. So we'll cover all of that good stuff. Let's jump into the first story of the day. Coinbase has made probably one of the most significant announcements in in its history in that it is going to be launching a layer two blockchain. Uh, It's called Base, um, which very nicely branded as the stock ticker coin goes very nicely with the blockchain base to form Coinbase. Quite like that. Um, According to Coinbase, Base is a secure, low-cost, developer-friendly Ethereum layer two built to bring the next billion users to Web3. I think this is a this is a big play from Coinbase and is clearly going to be their big bet on driving their retail and uh, adoption and the bringing the masses onto Ethereum and in particular just the wider Web3 ecosystem. What I, th- th- there are some very, interesting choices that they've made along here that I think are very cool. So when you kind of zoom out a little bit and you look at what Coinbase is doing, you've got this one big piece, which is all focused on like retail investors and bringing them onto the Coinbase core trading platform, maybe much less so on the institutional side. And then this other enormous focus, which has been the developer community and the developer ecosystem, something that I think a lot of other big centralized exchanges haven't focused on that much, maybe outside of Binance, which of course has its own and has done for a couple of years now, layer one blockchain, uh, BNB chain. And I was doing a little bit of reading around some of the commentary on from Coinbase and their, their team. And I think they'd considered building out like a competing layer one blockchain uh, and decided actually, you know, that's not really the route we want to go down here. So very importantly, the layer two is built on top of the OP stack. That's the optimism kind of core tech stack, which means that it's built using the underlying tech that powers the optimism blockchain, um, but will be separate to the actual optimism chain. It basically means that now 
the OP ecosystem has two kind of core contributors, the optimism chain being built and the surrounding ecosystem and then base. This is undoubtedly good news for optimism as a whole, which is a, a, a roll-up centric layer two. Um, it is all focused on making Ethereum more scalable, um, especially from a user perspective. The thing that kind of took me by surprise, they're actually going to be launching the mainnet in approximately two months, uh, which wow. is, yeah, that is not what I thought. I, it seems like there's going to be stages to this. They talked about kind of operating on training wheels for maybe the first year. I think this is as they're getting like validators up and running, things like that. But what is a, a couple of things I'll call out. It is a completely permissionless layer two. Um, I mean, the key takeaway here is there's not going to be like any KYC required to use it. It's going to operate just like if you were using any other kind of decentralized blockchain. Um, with it being a layer two, it, it gets all the benefits of Ethereum's security, but users of the chain, they're not going to have like high gas fees, transaction costs. It's all going to be low fee and uh, quick to use. And using optimistic rollups, it will then push transactions up onto the um, execution layer, which is the main, main layer of Ethereum. Now, I think... This is going to help Coinbase in the battle against Binance, but I actually don't think that it is the core move uh, that, that they're playing here. I think Coinbase has just built this huge machine that has moved them into being so much more than just an exchange. But mm -hmm. there, are, there are a few things in here that I thought were particularly kind of valuable for Ethereum, but also in particular, optimism. Uh, so a portion of base's transaction fees will actually go towards the optimism collective. So that is the um, kind of public goods funding uh, institution or foundation that's on optimism. And it'll be used specifically for funding public goods. Alongside this, they're going to be launching the base ecosystem fund. Um, so they're going to be really making a big push to give out grants to developers looking to build on top of base. Worth noting here, Coinbase has over 110 million verified users. That's obviously a huge pool of users they can kind of look to launch into. But I think as we have noted in the in previous episodes, Austin, like with their launch mm -hmm. of their NFT marketplace, that yeah. doesn't always sure up success. Um, so I think when I <clears throat> take a little bit of a step back and we'll see how this all plays out, I think this is one, really great for Ethereum and for crypto as a whole. The fact that, Coinbase has chosen a path forward that supports decentralization and actually is, in all honesty, less profitable for Coinbase than if they'd have just like spun up a slightly less like permissionless chain and, you know, just tried to put all that value back into Coinbase more than anything, which I don't think they have done here uh, in any way, shape or form. Now, it's clearly very good for optimism. Um, as a mm -hmm. as a whole kind of existence. Uh, I think as we see uh, zero knowledge proofs start to kind of hit the 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 market over the coming 12 18 months it's going to be a big battle between optimism and zk's I think um, so that's going to be very very good and it's pretty strong for like the wider developer community on ethereum one thing I will definitely call out is and coinbase did mention this of course you never write this off but 
there are no plans for a base token. I, I think it would kind of be a weird mm-hmm. thing for Coinbase to do anyway with having equity in Coinbase company and then having a base token, etc. I mean, Binance, of course, are not public, but they, they have their BNB token. So I, I really struggle to see a time when we see a, a native token on there. So I think they're going to be using uh, Ethereum. Um, but very interesting. I think this is a very significant story in the in the story of ETH as, as a whole and Coinbase as a company. Yeah, I agree. I actually think this will make Coinbase the only publicly traded company to have its own layer two network. Um, and yeah. that was reflected in the the stock took a you know a bit of a bump after this announcement came out. Um, so despite the bear market, I think it is something that is being viewed positively and. I believe like already a handful of projects have indicated that they're committed to using base um, like Dune Analytics, Ave, uh, Animoca Brands, which is that yeah. the, the the creators of that metaverse game, the Sandbox. So it sounds like they've, you know, maybe already behind the scenes built up some traction before they made any announcements here. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just a no brainer. It, it, it's pretty it's pretty nice that this is just like a layer two built and leveraging Ethereum. So it's not like some like using its own like new programming language that people have to kind of get used to and they have to onboard new developers into. It's like it's known. Optimism as a whole has been an exciting chain. I mean, especially since the start of the year, it's been a huge narrative is scaling solutions for Ethereum. Optimism, mm-hmm. Arbitrum, like all of those uh, layer two surrounding um, ETH have been pumping and there's been a lot of excitement around them so this this timing really of the announcement couldn't have came at a better time and uh the the thing i'm most surprised about is how quiet they were able to keep this it it, like (laughs) i have heard no rumors of this at all Mm -hmm. maybe that's the maybe there were rumors that i just missed but that's i think one of the most impressive pieces for me because what a beast of a project this would have to be um yeah so yeah, really, really cool. Um, I, I really like to see it, and I think the way they've went about it is uh, pretty commendable, actually, in the in the grand scheme of things. Right, let's jump into our second story of the day. Voyager Digital's clients have voted ninety seven percent in favor of a one billion dollar restructuring plan. Now, if you're not familiar with, yeah, I know. What a beast. (laughs) Um, If you're not familiar with Voyager Digital, it is a crypto broker that filed for bankruptcy back in July of 2022. Uh, They had a lot of exposure to Three Arrows Capital, which collapsed right before that. And they were left with more than 100,000 creditors, billions of dollars in liabilities. Uh, And then FTX swooped in. Remember, this is July of last year. and offered to bail them out back when they were sort of on a on a rampage there and, you know, saving the entire crypto industry or so we thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I believe I believe we did the episode of Off Chain where we talked about that exact thing where FTX offered. And I seem to remember what I was saying at the time. Man, I really hope that Sam doesn't turn out to be a bad actor. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that we nailed that one. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> right on the money as always. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, 
back in December of 2022, after the FTX collapse and thus the end of Voyager's deal with them, uh, Binance.us. So this is Binance's U.S. based uh, division made a one billion dollar offer for Voyager's distressed assets. This was a pretty big deal. We talked about this as well. Um, I think there was some skepticism around, you know, how this would even happen or whether it would go through. But then in January, the U.S. Bankruptcy Court gave Voyager permission to hold a vote among its creditors on the sale. And that vote is what happened. And it turns out 97% voted in favor of the restructuring. What's interesting about this is that voters were divided into four categories, one for account holder claims, and then three separate categories for general unsecured claims. Now, Mm. the general unsecured claims are going to have a lower priority and actually may not be paid until the account holder claims are paid in full. But with this restructuring, if the deal goes through, it looks like Voyager customers will get up to 51% of their capital back, or maybe that means 51% of Voyager customers will get their capital back, depending on how it's structured. Um, But it it would be a good thing, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You've basically written that off as a loss at this point, haven't you? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, so anything here would be would be very good news. Yeah, it really would. I, I mean, if not surprising, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll see what ends up happening there. The SEC and FTC do have some questions about the deal, actually. In a filing last week, the SEC said that it was formally investigating whether Voyager violated anti-fraud registration and other federal securities laws. And they claim that Voyager did not, quote, sufficiently explain what safeguards have been established to ensure that customer assets are not transferred off the Binance.us platform. So Mm. definitely some concerns there. FTC says that should the deal go through, it would unlawfully bar the company from being held accountable for, quote, actual fraud, willful misconduct <laughs> or gross negligence um, isn't that the funny... uh, isn't that the prime look that's like the the uh, modus operandi of uh crypto brokers though right <laughs> isn't that yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> the that's like the mission statement now is just on every one of these like lending it's <laughs> like actual fraud willful misconduct or gross negligence <laughs> that's what we excel in at yeah. this point <laughs> Yeah, I actually, uh, I I was reading that when the FTC made that statement, there was a a bro in the crowd with a backwards snap cap on, and he was like, wait, you talking about a Monday? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. We, uh, it it, it is kind of, I, I find a lot of like the developments in these cases super interesting, and it just, like, it it just really just gives you layers and layers of showing how unbelievably incompetent a lot of the operations were around these like multi-billion dollar asset like uh, management like firms. It it's just blows my mind. It, it really is. Yeah. It makes me just, probably the only good thing to come out of this is how skeptical I am now of any kind of lending protocols, companies, centralized entities that operate and are big custodians in the space because you just uh, nothing is sacred i think uh, at this point right on to our next story about yuga labs yuga labs has 
kind of shocked everyone by announcing a brand new 300-piece generative art collection that, guess what, is going to be launched on Bitcoin. Um, Now, this is going to be launched via Ordinals, and if you haven't already, I'm not sure what you've been doing, but if you haven't already, I shared out the kind of full primer episode on the podcast on February 8th uh, that talks all about Ordinals, what it is. In short, it is a novel new system to be able to launch NFTs natively on the Bitcoin blockchain. I'm not going to go into much more detail than that because we dig in lots in that podcast. So definitely check it out. It's like 20 minutes and you'll know everything you need to know on it. Now, the Yuga Labs project, it's called 12-fold and it was announced on Monday of this week. And the the project is kind of a nod to the theory behind ordinals is focused on the relationship between time, mathematics, and variability, according to them. So I'll I'll give a little quote, um, see if you can decipher and make sense of what these words mean. Uh, (laughs) 12-fold is a base 12 art system localized around a 12 by 12 grid, a visual allegory for the cartography of data on the Bitcoin blockchain. Could there have been more difficult words to understand in that in that explainer if they tried? However, I am here for it. I think it's interesting. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm by no means uh, a, a a big NFT collector, uh, but have been very interested in what's happening on Bitcoin with the rise of ordinals. And actually, I don't think anyone's expecting uh, uh, the likes of Yuga to come in and really put their stamp of approval on this. They've clearly been impressed by, and actually I think excited by what's been happening with ordinals. Um, and to be honest, I thought that they would feel the opposite to how that's uh, th- this has been playing out. But they actually said in their announcement around uh, the 12-fold um, collection, uh, I'll quote, stepping into the Ordinals Discord a month ago felt like getting a getting a glimpse of the 2017 era Ethereum NFT ecosystem. It's the type of energy and excitement we love at Yuga. Um, it, it's kind of great to hear them say that because honestly, as someone who also was deep in the discords uh, of all of the different Ordinals projects, I, I kind of felt the same thing. It, it was kind of raw, it, like you kind of felt like at any moment you were going to come across either the next best big thing or you're in the process of being scammed. And it's very hard to know which, <laughs> but either way you were kind of having fun. So, you know, uh, but what I, what I thought was kind of, uh, what, so, so what's interesting about this, the collection is going to go on auction. It's all going to be priced in Bitcoin. Um, that it, It's going to be happening pretty soon, but they're going to share an exact date and more info in the coming week. So I'm sure we're probably going to hear, I imagine, some more by the end of this week. Um, but very interesting, very different. It seems to be that they, they, they developed this all-in-house uh, 3D generative art, which also incorporates some hand-drawn aspects as a nod to like a lot of what some of the early Ordinals uh, work has, has been so far. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens here. No doubt that we are going to see 100% we're going to see um, some of the biggest sales that Ordinals has seen for a long time. Yeah. And I think what uh, 
when you look at this from a strategic perspective, so we were talking last week about the whole blur versus open sea, creator royalties, stuff like that. This is an example to me of the huge shift away from creator royalties as a revenue generation model, because on Bitcoin with ordinals, there's no royalties there. Um, but the the whole focus being around primary sales, and I imagine Yuga is going to rake in a serious amount of Bitcoin. I'm I'm gonna go out on a whim and I'm just gonna like put my finger in the air here. Uh I think we're gonna see something crazy like a 50 bitcoin purchase or something along Mm. those lines of one of these i'd be very surprised if they don't average out with a like 10 btc per piece but i mean i could be completely wrong but that's that's gonna be i'm gonna put my neck out there i'm gonna say one of these are gonna sell for 50 btc um in this collection we'll see how it all gets played uh through and how they even think about the um rarity traits and how that'll all play out but i'm excited to see what happens here because it's it's new and uh it's interesting yeah wild stuff bold times (laughs) very very bold times and uh very new uh so we'll see how it all plays out no doubt we'll do a deep dive into that as like a bit of a uh a recap after the auction has has concluded but uh let's let's finish out with a nice light uh, optimistic oh. story from the the wonderful, wonderful desk of the IMF. Ah, yes, the IMF. Uh, well, they have recently said that banning crypto, quote, should not be taken off the table. I, I just thought this was yeah. really interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Kristalina Georgieva, who is the IMF's managing director, really made some interesting statements in a recent recent interview with Bloomberg. Um, just I, I just want to kind of go through some of these and then we can, I guess, digest them. Um, she said, quote, we are very much in favor of regulating the world of digital money, uh, noting that this is a priority for the IMF and several other entities related to them. And then she continued to say, However, if the regulation is slow to come and crypto assets become a higher risk for consumers and potentially for financial stability, the option of banning cryptocurrencies should not be taken off the table. And then she went on to cite how countries like India have explored this in the past. I think a, a, terribly, a lot of these... Terribly. Terribly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I know. Oh, yes. We've seen this in China and India, both terrible examples. Like, why would you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, But you know what's interesting about this is that if you also take a look at last year's IMF paper, um, they said in the paper that the regulation of cryptocurrencies, quote, should not be seen as stifling innovation, but rather as building trust. Th- these things are not compatible. Okay. Well, well, Austin. Uh, I guess it depends on which which cryptocurrencies are we talking about. Are we talking about the really bad, evil, decentralized <laughs> ones, or are we talking about the really good, here to solve all our problems, definitely not here to spy on every aspect of our life, central bank <laughs> digital currencies? Is that what we're talking about, Austin? Matt, you have completely nailed the distinction. <laughs> you should apply for a role at the IMF. <laughs> oh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah. This soundbite is getting sent straight to every central bank and monetary funds uh, desk. And, you know, I'll be I'll be here playing the anti-hero uh, that, that everyone doesn't want. 
Go get that Illuminati money, Matt. Epstein's <laughs> Island is up for sale. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, man, I am going further and further off the deep end every week. I apologize, everybody. Um, yeah. Okay, so... The, but actually, Matt, what you were, you were getting at, at exactly the, the differentiation here. So the IMF said that, quote, their first objective is to differentiate between central bank digital currencies <laughs> that are backed by the state and publicly issued crypto assets and stable coins. So I, I love I love also that they like they spit. This is like, you know, when you kind of see sometimes where a statement is being made and you just go the wording is so purposefully crafted from a PR perspective. Like there's no reason to say publicly issued crypto assets and stable coins. Stable coins are a crypto asset. They are, this is going to be the thing that I, I think is going to continuously be used as like mm-hmm. stable coin decentralized publicly issued is bad. And look, we can show you examples and it'd be like Terra and some of these others. And they're just like, it's just, it, it's, it's very, it, this is just going to be a continuous theme that, that we hear. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely. Uh, she went on to say state backed stable coins have quote reliability and reasonably good space for the economy, whereas non-backed crypto assets are speculative, high-risk investments, and not money. <laughs> I totally know what that means. But... <laughs> not money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then um, more on this. So at a recent G20 meeting in India, she said, quote, crypto assets cannot be legal tender because they don't have the definition of money. So, I mean, this is kind of what? like that old attack on uh, yeah. crypto, which is like, oh, it's not real money. It's not backed by anything. But of course, you know, from the IMF's perspective, what they're saying is like, it's it's unsafe because we're not controlling it, right? Or governments yeah. aren't controlling it or, or whatever it is. I mean, it, look, you know, just, just like with any of these sort of uh, extreme statements, uh, there is a nugget of truth, right? I mean, we have mm. been facing huge regulatory uh, deficits, I would say, um, or, or at least, yeah. you know, a lack of safeguards, consumer protection in the crypto space. There's no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, turning that in, into a world where cryptocurrencies are banned to, quote, keep you safe, you know, or yeah. um, only CBDCs are allowed, that's, which that's is That's what like, gets me. That, that, I think yeah. that's what gets me. Because you know what? Like, I think um, I... I think for the longest time, there's been too much of a narrative inside the world of crypto that is regulation equals bad. I, I have for the longest time wholeheartedly disagreed with this statement. I, I think mm-hmm. regulation, it, like the essence of regulation is there to protect individuals and yeah. consumers. And we have seen the outcomes of a vacuum of re- regulation and the devastation that it can wreak when when that exists for the everyday individual. Like Luna crash mm-hmm. the flurry of ftx and all of these other like voyager galaxy etc 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 and then we've had this major issue of which we've talked to death about really around you know uh regulation through enforcement which is not good for anybody uh in, in this sense i i agree there needs to be regulation and i agree with some of the sentiment of where um the imf are kind of saying like Without that, without any kind of like regulation, extreme thing measures need to be taken. My problem here is if we just put put to one side the ridiculous the ridiculousness of the notion of banning cryptocurrencies, 
the mm. this is just like all they're saying here is is nothing to do with regulation. It is all a giant PR propaganda narrative to present CBDCs as the trusted solution to mm-hmm. the future of money. And it's it's pretty thinly veiled for anyone in the space, but I can imagine why any regular person that hasn't really interacted that much with crypto, and even some that are in crypto, would inherently trust a stablecoin, for example, issued by the state versus a decentralized alternative. And uh, yeah, so I think it's going to be a real big battle. The next five years are going to be critical, I think, in establishing the right narrative and having a good, healthy debate around some of this. Um, Because it's it's going to get pretty dangerous. I really think you're onto something there, Matt. I mean, you you just got me thinking about like how it's interesting that the some of I think the verbiage that's used here, like state backed stable coins or, you know, um, central bank digital currencies that are backed by the state. Uh, these maybe have negative connotations in our space because uh, we have familiarized ourselves with, you know, the risks related with CBDCs and how they are in many ways at odds with the sort of spirit and principles of crypto at large. But I actually think that they could have the opposite effect mm-hmm. on the general population, which has had general skepticism about crypto because it's, quote, not money, just like <laughs> the IMF director said, right, yeah. um, has seen their their friends, their neighbors, maybe even in some ways themselves experienced losses uh, at the hands of these quote, as they, in their words, speculative high-risk investments that are not money. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, and then and then have thought, oh, well, you know, maybe something that is backed by the state, just like all of the old money, that has real value, right? That's been around for hundreds of years. That, that sounds like a good sort of compromise or solution or path forward uh, without realizing that it's, you know, it comes with plenty of... Uh, risks and, and downsides if not implemented correctly. There probably, you know, there are ways to implement it correctly. And I think that to your yeah. point, that is the battle that's going to happen over the, the next five or so years, because the, the question at this point probably isn't like, are CBDCs going to happen? It's more of, you know, in what capacity and what structure are the CBDCs going to be implemented through? Um, and that can be, you know, the difference between a some form of progress um, and, uh, you know, mass, uh, state surveillance, uh, limits on that, economic freedom, it. all of these things. P- people need to, and uh, ourselves included, we need to understand the answer to the question of at what cost, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that central banks are going to be successful in their rollout by and large with central bank digital currencies. They're coming, whether we like it or not. I think that there will be some very widely adopted CBDCs. And actually, from a financial perspective, they will probably be, and a technological perspective, probably very secure, right? And like, you know, I I can't blame someone for trusting the state with their cash versus, you know, some anonymous group of developers uh, Mm -hmm. from a decentralized protocol. You know, that's what people are used to. Uh, it's, It's logical and it's rational. 
The problem here is what we don't know is what is the trade-off? You know, those years in 2007 to 2015 when we were absolutely loving every moment we spent on Facebook and not realizing Mm -hmm. what those trade-offs were, you know, and, you know, then Cambridge Analytica happened and it was like, holy shit, something Mm -hmm. bad has happened here. And, you know, the, the way we interact online, especially I think for the millennial generation that lived through that like awakening uh of of it there's another reckoning to come here similar to the financial crisis of those in particular in the US uh that kind of suffered at the hands of the um of of the large financial institutions and the kind of toxic debt that that was being sold um yeah it, it feels like that we're on the precipice of something big like this um and it's i don't think it's going to happen fast it's going to slowly bit by bit kind of creep in um but i yeah, don't think crypto wins frog. by exactly exactly it's you know <clears throat> i think it's the uh crypto doesn't win by attacking this i think crypto wins by ultimately building slow steady continued trust and we can't have another year like last year it, it it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's really hard to talk to anyone and put the case forward for decentralization when it's being made a mockery of by big players in the space. So we'll see. I mean, I think like uh, there's a lot of work to be done, and I think yeah. the 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 dangerous outcomes are showing and kind of rearing their heads um, for the future ahead. Yeah, it's true. I think that um, adopting something now that, you know, might seem good on the surface throughout history has shown that if not properly looked into can have like real dire consequences, you know, even decades down the line, like my head immediately goes to the establishment of the NSA and how that was Mm. originally intended to not to spy domestically on, you know, law abiding American citizens, but to as a, as a response to 9-11 to keep people safe from terrorism abroad aimed at the United States and how that actually became a gigantic in mass domestic spy program. Um, you know, at Snowden and everything like that brought all of that to light eventually, but it took years and years and years before people realized like what they actually had gotten themselves into. And so you, you trade, a, you know, a, uh, like what you think is a little bit of freedom and privacy for some security. And then it turns out actually, you know, you didn't really gain any security and you lost quite a lot of freedom and privacy. And the thing that you were saying 10 years ago when you said, oh, you know, I don't have anything to hide. I like no problem. That may mm. not have been problematic then, but it's problematic now. And the record is still there. And I think that that's where the your privacy and your, you know, sovereignty around your earned money and how you use it, it's its not something to take lightly. You know, yeah. um, it is it is arguably almost all of the power in the world that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it, this is, you know, an, a really, really interesting time uh, at minimum. <laughs> um, yes. Agreed. Yeah. So, okay. I I wanted to mention two other things really quickly. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about FTX. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) Nishad Singh was the director of engineering at FTX. I I think that this was the person that had like over $500 million in loans from um, Alameda. And we were like really surprised. Like what, why is the director of engineering? You know, (laughs) I mean, you understand like SBF and 
um, you know, Salame and and sort of like the the top the top people. Um, but yeah, Nishad Singh ended up pleading guilty to wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, money laundering, and conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government by violating campaign finance laws. Um, now, th- yeah, that's a lot. Uh, probably not going to uh, come with serious consequences for him, I would imagine, because it looks like he ple- he pleaded guilty after, uh, yeah, he met with the, the U.S. prosecutors to discuss a sort of potential cooperation agreement last month. So they probably have a deal. He's actually the third high-level FTX employee to do exactly this and, you know, basically flip and, and plead guilty. So yeah, it interesting looks like one. Kind of bringing the the prosecutors have, have got a pretty stacked bench now to go directly mm-hmm. after Sam, really, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, yeah. that that seems to be the play. Yeah, which hey, you know, fair enough, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, th- this is to a degree what we wanted. So, mm-hmm. all right. Um, the last thing that I wanted to mention is you all may have seen a story come out of Reuters uh, last week um, that reported that Visa and Mastercard were both pausing their crypto push. That was a bummer um, to read mm. that. But uh, since then, Kai Sheffield, who is Visa's head of crypto, said that this was inaccurate in the case of Visa and that Visa still plans to grow their digital asset department. It looks like they're pretty focused on stable coins just from like reading between the lines uh, um, that, you know, yeah. he had this tweet thread where he was talking about it. I think, you know, realistically, uh, Visa and MasterCard, they they have to be less uh, enthusiastic about crypto right now, or, or at minimum feel like less pressure to innovate and enter into the space. But um, I do appreciate that at least folks from Visa are kind of coming out and saying, no, like we're not, you know, pausing our investment. This is something that we're still investing in. We're growing our digital asset department. We're, you know, maybe we're just focused on stable coins, but like that is something. Um, and I, I think that building up that base, you know, during a bear market can lead to some really cool stuff uh, during a bull market. So yeah, quick correction on Visa there. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> as much as, you know, they are often in the uh, the the group that we would call the incumbents of the financial system. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's going to take the incumbents to ironically uh, bring us to the next kind of phase of, of adoption in this new kind of level of tech. So it is good. I've seen... Um, I think it's probably uh, Kai Sheffield that I've I've heard talk on podcasts and uh, do some good stuff on Twitter around what Visa's been doing. So I'm um, always interested to see that. And I know Mastercard of of being continuously uh, investing, whether that be in like areas like metaverse adoption, all the way through to payment processing and decentralized finance. So you gotta think, you know, those two companies where there's money to be made. Pretty sure. Oh yeah, be there. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yesterday I was told by somebody that I'm a techno optimist, so maybe uh, I don't have the best take on these things. But <laughs> generally, my perspective on this has been that at minimum, incumbents entering the space is at least a signal that we are making our way to the main stage and we're gaining traction. Now, is it always a good thing? Maybe not necessarily, but I think at, at minimum, it is a positive signal. Like if Visa and MasterCard totally did not care about crypto, if b- big banks were not paying attention to crypto, I mean, that would, you know, put us back in like 2015, 2016, very nascent stages where, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's probably an indication that we had a long way to go. So Agreed. I think just just their, their interest in it alone is something that's interesting here. Definitely. Yeah, I can agree more. The, you know, they, they've sensed 
that there is money to be made. There is an opportunity here. The TAM is big enough and they want a slice of the pie and it's a necessary yeah. evil, uh, as unfortunate it is. But hopefully it'll drive everything forward. Um, so yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll keep tabs. All right. I'm sure we're going to have a bunch to dig into next week, especially with the, the Yuga stuff. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch more that we can unpack from Coinbase announcements and no doubt something's going to probably blow up that we can unpack as well. So until then, I'll see you next week, Austin. See you then, Matt. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.